Welcome, everyone, to the Alatia Foundation's latest podcast of the current series, where we address the urgent topics of the day, as well as their impact on the energy sector. We do this through a lively discourse with a number of invited experts. My name is Axel Threlfall. I'm editor-at-large for Reuters, based out of London, and I'll be leading uh, today's conversation. The Foundation, as you all know, is an independent think tank that provides robust and practical knowledge on global energy and sustainable development topics to the Foundation's members and community. The title of today's discussion is The Circular Economy, How Will It Develop in the Future? Uh, The official definition of a circular economy goes like this, an economic system aimed at eliminating waste and the continual use of resources. So an alternative to a traditional linear economy of make use dispose. We're all increasingly well-versed in the many actions, efforts, projects, etc. underway to combat climate change, perhaps less well so in this notion of the circular economy and the critical role it plays in the shift towards a more sustainable planet. So today's discussion will explore what needs to be done to change that and to embed this idea into normal business practice. Of course, the place of hydrocarbon fuels within the energy transition is a critical part of this discussion, as is the role of carbon within the circular model. Okay, enough from me. I'm delighted to welcome our podcast guest, Dr. Patrick Schroeder, to share some perspectives on the circular economy. Patrick is a senior research fellow in the Energy, Environment and Resources Department at Chatham House where he specializes in research on the global transition to an inclusive circular economy with a specific focus on collaborative opportunities between key countries, closing the investment gap and building an evidence base for trade in the circular economy. He is co-editor of the book, The Circular Economy and the Global South, Sustainable Lifestyles and Green Industrial Development. Patrick, a very warm welcome uh, to you. Um, How does a circular economy, Patrick, differ from the more traditional business model of a linear economy? And how optimistic should we be that businesses are moving in the right direction? Yes, uh, good afternoon. Um, Thank you for inviting me to contribute to this podcast series. Um, It's it's very timely to talk about the circular economy, as now in the economic recovery, many governments have allocated funds to support their economies. Many businesses are looking for maybe new opportunities to their uh, traditional business model. It's important to notice that the circular economy is not only a concept, but it's already uh, practiced. Many of uh, very successful companies are actually already actively applying circular economy principles in their business models. It's also important to notice, and many people often think about the circular economy just being about waste management. So it's quite a bit more than that. So um, the companies which are applying these practices, and often these practices are associated with the three R's, uh, reduce, reuse, recycle. In addition to this, there's other practices. So the circular economy discussions, they are, it is evolving quite quickly. So people started talking about, for example, another framework called the nine R's, which includes other practices like repair, refurbishment, remanufacturing. Um, so these are all practices which are uh, already happening in, in the, the economy today. Um, if we go more on to the conceptual level of the circular economy, also in contrast maybe to the linear economy, the circular economy is very much a design approach. Um, the linear economy often 
tries to use end-of-pipe solutions to prevent waste or pollution. So in the circular economy idea, it, it is considered possible to design out the waste. The example is often there's no waste in nature. The current uh, system that we have has been designed by us, so we also have the potential to, to design out the waste. So waste is considered a resource just to be in a different, in the wrong place. So this is very much linked to uh, cradle to cradle thinking, which has been developed by McDonnell and, um, and yeah. Brownguard. Yeah. How? Let me, um, let me jump in, Patrick. Let me. How? I mean, you you speak optimistically uh, about the, the number of businesses that are moving in this direction. What what will it take to build a a global system that that operates under this premise? A system that that really gets us properly away from this in, entrenched extractive system that we're so used to. Yes, a truly global circular economy, we're, we're still very far away from that. And, and this will be a very long-term transition, so it's not going to happen tomorrow. It, it's comparable to the transition to a, a low-carbon and climate-neutral energy system. And, and these two are, um, are actually also coupled. So just in terms of maybe to give an idea of how circular the global economy currently is, in 2019, uh, we extract about 100 billion tons of materials from, from the earth. And only about 8% of, of these materials were either reused or, or recycled. Quite, quite a bit of a gap yeah. how, how to get there. So, but there are many uh, low-hanging fruits that we can um, address, I think, in a very relatively short time. Um, for example, we can significantly reduce the amount of food waste that we generate. We can significantly reduce plastic waste. Um, there's opportunities in, in a range of sectors. We can change the fast fashion system and the waste associated with textiles. Sure. Um, so these are quick wins that can be made. Let, let me let me sorry to interrupt. Let me jump in again, um, and, and we'll come in a, in a in a short while onto the the, the 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 circular startups that might excite you. And you and you talk about food waste as one. But but let me ask you the, this: eight percent that you talk about, just eight percent. Uh, recycled. Why is that? Is that a cost? Is that a cost issue? You know, is is it? You know, we we see that using virgin material is cheaper often than than recycled material. Um, will, will will price ultimately determine the success of this? Yes, uh, pricing is uh, a very big part of it. Indeed, one of the obstacles to a more circular economy is the basically the very cheap cost of many virgin materials. I mean, if we're just looking at plastics, for instance, this is very much linked to um, the fracking boom and, and cheap gas uh, in the US, which has fueled a lot of new investments in plastics and, and petrochemicals. So there's a lot of investment going into the production um, of, of virgin plastics. I think one, one figure that I read was about 200 billion was invested last year in the US in, in new projects and facilities. Compared to the investment that go into recycling, this is uh, much, much lower uh, mm. currently. So in a way, to have a circular plastics economy, these two would need to be balanced. How, how is that going to happen, Patrick? Because you're, you're going to see a lot of onus on business, on the private sector, uh, that are struggling because of the, the cost issue. How, how are we going to find that balance? In my opinion, um, and I think um, there are many uh, discussions about um, what type of policies are needed uh, to level, make, to get the prices right. So uh, currently the market on its own 
um, need some readjustment. And some of the policy ideas, this is not specifically regarding plastics, some ideas are that we need to have some recycled content requirement, which could be then coupled with a tax on virgin plastics. And there are different versions of this. And these policy proposals are discussed on, on uh, various uh, levels by governments and experts from the waste and also uh, plastics industries, etc. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a way forward. And many people agree that this is a good idea. Has the pandemic made things harder, the need for single-use plastics? We've seen delays or pushback uh, and some of the plans to, to transition to a circular economy. I think the deposit return schemes have been postponed in, in Scotland, in Australia, for example. How thick a thorn in our side has this pandemic been in this shift to a circular economy? The pandemic hasn't been helpful in this in this uh, regard. There have been, as you say, um, there's been a return to single-use plastics. Um, it's perceived to be, and in many cases it probably is, uh, safer. Um, yeah, as the pandemic comes to an end, hopefully at some stage, we then can uh, get the momentum back that, that we saw before the pandemic. Yeah, and indeed we talk, uh, uh, we talk often about a, a green recovery element to the, the COVID-19 bounce back. You know, when we look at the climate piece, I guess the this this circular economy piece must fit into that as well, right? Yes, um, and there are signs that this is happening. We see this on the EU level. So the um, the circular economy action plan was announced la- end of last year by the by the incoming Commission, and then the document was then published earlier this year. The circular economy is part of the EU's Green Deal. And now in the recovery plan, uh, which includes also um, funding of 750 billion euros, the circular economy will be element uh, of that as well. And you mentioned the circular economy action plan, uh, Patrick, and and that that is legislation, right? That's EU legislation. So so what you're saying is policy's responsibility here is is to put legislation in place in order to make this happen. Is that correct? Yes, I mean, yes, uh, I think policy is driving the development. However, it's also supported by many industries which are already on the track, which have already started making these shifts. And I mean, even now in the current situation, we see that uh, companies are now beginning to experiment with new circular economy business models. There's um, one leading UK uh, retailer now just starting a new textile uh, rental uh, scheme together with also looking at take-back schemes and repair um, and second-hand segments for, for their business. Yep. So they that, at the moment, it's, we're in a crisis, but it seems to be also an opportunity to start new things. Yeah. And, and OK. And, 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 you know, we do hear that a lot, this opportunity. Um, and clearly there is innovation. And, you're, and you've mentioned a few examples of the sorts of innovation. But but I, I guess and, you know, forgive me for playing devil's advocate uh, here. To, to, we need to see this happen at scale. Right. This is the only way it's going to happen. How far off are we from that really? Back? Yes. I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, we see many examples which are on the small scale and uh, to really make this um, happen um, it needs to be scaled up and not necessarily in some cases cases it needs to be scaled up in other cases the examples need to be replicated so investment will play a a major role Uh, so this is where the recovery uh, funds are an option but we also see changes in 
financial markets. So just uh, in June, I think there was a call, a public call by a group of invest, uh, investors, which combined have assets of um, 12 trillion dollars, uh, I think, and they publicly called for the EU to um, promote a green recovery, which is not only about renewable energy, but, but also other sustainable business solutions. Yeah. So we saw also last week, ExxonMobil dropped out of the uh, Dow Jones index. Um, so that's another indication that financial markets are, are changing. In the recent month, ESG funds have attracted quite some interest. And, and all of these developments point towards um, greening of, of uh, finance. And there will be, this will provide funds for innovative businesses which are um, looking at circular economy solutions. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned Bill McDonough um, earlier. Um, and I, I said at the top, of course, the place of hydrocarbon fuels within this, the energy transition is a critical part of this whole discussion. Um, Carbon is not the enemy, I think, is what Bill McDonough said. Where, where, where do you see carbon piece fitting into this going forward? Yes, that's a, that's a tricky question. Um, and I'm, I'm aware there are discussions about a circular carbon economy, which will um, uh, make use of carbon capture and use. So in, in principle, this is a circular um, approach. However, so the circular economy is also... Um, very much a, a systems um, approach. Um, so it's just looking at one resource or one part on its own is, is uh, quite limited. So within the circular carbon economy, we will need to think about how it links to other materials, other resources, especially water, for example, how these connect, are there trade-offs? And that's where, again, the whole life cycle aspect of the circular economy uh, becomes important. Do we shift impacts from one area of the life cycle to the other, or do we shift the impacts from one geographic area to another? So that's that's all quite complex, but um, these are the issues we, we need to consider when we when we think about the potential technology solutions. Uh, pa Patrick, in, in your in your on your bio, um, you, you you say you specialize on the global transition to a circular economy with a focus on collaborative opportunities between key countries. How critical is this? Is this collaboration? Is this partnership? You know, between nations, um, and then of course between the policy side and the business side. And 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 how much of that collaboration, positive collaboration, are we seeing? Yes, this co collaboration is crucial. In terms of policies, for instance, governments tend to copy each other in terms of the policies they implement. And a lot of countries are looking to the European Union for the circular economy, but not only to the EU, but um, also to China. Uh, China has a circular economy law in place for about a decade, which has been used to drive their eco-industrial park development. Um, more recently now in our work, we've closely worked together with uh, stakeholders from Latin America. And what we've seen there is that there are some key countries, including Uruguay, Chile, um, uh, Colombia, which have already started uh, to develop national action plans and roadmaps for the circular economy. Um, then there's collaboration between these governments, uh, innovative businesses in these countries, plus multilateral organizations such as UNIDO, uh, the United Nations Development Programme, the World Bank or the uh, Inter-American Development Bank, um, all joining together to create a regional alliance on the circular economy. 
So this uh, will create quite some momentum. And what we do at Chatham House, we try to be involved in these discussions and, and to drive a high ambition circular economy. Got, got it. And, and clearly, well, clearly, from what you've just said, there is, a, there is, there is quite a bit quite a bit happening. Um, I'm, I'm keeping a wary eye on time. A couple, couple more things. I'd like to know uh, to what extent industries can learn from one another. Uh, the, the auto, for example, is, a, is, a, is, a, is an industry that, uh, where we see a lot of recycling. You know, pretty much every piece of a car can be recycled. What, what, what other sectors, what other industries watch the auto industry and, and, and give us cause for hope, would you say? Yes, the automobile industry is, is actually quite a good example, as you say. Many materials or parts and components are uh, reused. There's the maintenance and repair part of it, um, second-hand markets for vehicles. Um, all of this is uh, in place. And it would be quite relevant to see something like this also for the um, happening for the electronics industry. E-waste is the fastest-growing waste stream. It's also a very uh, problematic area. Uh, about 80% of the e-waste that's currently generated is undocumented. We don't know what happens to it. It either goes to landfill or it's being shipped around illegally uh, and then dismantled in substandard facilities with impacts on environment and, and human health. So in this respect, following a model of the automotive industry could be quite useful. Having said this, um, having this circular economy approach to the manufacturing of automobiles doesn't necessarily mean that the automobile as such is a sustainable product. And this is where the circular economy now links also to the performance economy concept and, and the sharing economy. So to, in order to make the automobile sustainable, we need to think about other business model and, and use, use patterns. So I expect in, in the future, we will see a lot more of, especially in dense cities, a lot more of car sharing examples rather than private ownership of cars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's actually a lot of structural waste associated with cars just sitting, um, taking up space, which is could be used for other purposes. I, I want to finish, Patrick, uh, if I may, with that, that impossible sort of question of goals and, and timelines here. And, and I want to come back to your 8% that you mentioned. Um, where do we need to get that 8% to, to feel we've really succeeded with this? And, and how quickly do you think that 8% could get up to, say, 50% or 60%? Yeah, that's a very difficult question, hopefully as fast as possible. There's a good example from the Netherlands. Um, the Dutch economy is estimated to be about 25% circular already. Um, so it's not an impossible task. I think on the EU level or for the UK, I think we could get to 25% in a relatively short time, maybe five to 10 years um, or so. To have a, a higher level of circularity, um, as I said before, it's a long-term transition. I think 2050 could be um, a target to achieve higher degrees of circularity. And, and there's also, um, I mean, this links with the net zero carbon the yeah. targets that we have. These two approaches uh, reinforce each other. So there, there are a lot of emissions embodied in materials. If, if we make use of those materials uh, through repair, reuse, um, recycling, rather than discarding them, so we can, we can save a lot of this embodied energy and carbon. So one thing that we're also looking at is the uh, 2030 uh, target the um, sustainable development goals agenda. So in our work, we also try to highlight uh, what the circular economy can do to promote human development. 
and um, this is particularly important to um, for developing countries to take on the circular economy idea, uh, where we can show how it contributes, for example, to clean water and, and sanitation, how it can con contribute to better health outcomes. For example, reducing open burning of waste um, instead, which is a huge public health problem. Um, how it can contribute to clean industrialization or um, addressing issues of informal settlements, sustainable communities and cities, etc. So that's also one area in which we're, we're advocating for circular economy solutions that also have address um, the, the, the social aspects. Got it. All right. Patrick, look, we, we, we have run out of time. Really fascinating stuff. Thank you very much indeed for your, your insights uh, and your time today. Patrick Schroeder uh, from uh, Chatham House. Um, as a non-profit uh, independent organization, the foundation would also like to thank its members. Their continued support, of course, is valued and very much appreciated. Do watch this space for the next podcast uh, in this series. I'm Axel Threlfall from Reuters. Thank you and goodbye.